Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. So the moral of the story that I've picked up on this podcast is, Ryan, stop trying to predict anything or, you know, keep things calm or reasonable or try to account for the fact that there's two games before your next episode. Because last Wednesday was when we recorded our previous episode and I said the words in response to your very fair points about Svechnikov. Um, I said, well, I'm sure he'll be back on Thursday or Sunday. It's not like they're going to keep him down, right? And not only did they keep him down, they sent him down harder. (laughs) Sveshnikov went from being a healthy scratch to not even, you know, assigned to the taxi squad. He got sent all the way to Grand Rapids. So not assigned to the AHL, like technically through the taxi squad, all the way to Grand Rapids. And when I saw that, I just, I just kind of threw my hands up and went, I'm like I mentioned last time, I'm tired and uh, I'm going to stop trying to predict anything. Because then I have to admit that Brad was right. And what an exhausting thing to keep doing. This is why Evan doesn't say anything. That way he never has to say, Brad, you were right. And Evan is happy as a clam. Uh, yes, exactly. It's solid life advice. But in your defense, I mean, it's not like anything like this has ever happened in this regime's history. This is a complete one-off. There was no way we could have known something like this was coming. So you're you're totally in the clear. This is the part of the show where the main character looks at the camera like Jim from The Office, like that kind of thing. <laughs> Anyhow, we'll have more on that uh, very shortly here. Uh, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast, here to talk Red Wings hockey and uh, just take general pot shots at Brad because I'm spiteful. I'm Ryan Hanna. And I rebut Ryan by just always being right. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. <laughs> uh all right on this episode of the wind wheel podcast we are going to be talking about the two uh red wings games that have taken place since our last episode of course with that will come uh, i'm sure a very calm rational discussion on evgeny svechnikov uh maybe some other red wings will be discussed here and then uh what we will be getting into is a very special uh guest interview a uh oft recurring guest and one that we're always excited to have uh in scott wheeler and the Scott interview is exciting for two things. First of all, lots of good content to cover. Um, and secondly, we were talking about this pre-show. It's really kind of signals our transition point where we're going to be covering in a little bit more of a concerted way uh, prospects and uh, draft profiles and that kind of thing. So that is going to start up pretty soon. Uh, we're going to map and plan all that out. So expect that to kick into gear uh, with this being kind of that tent tentpole tentpole pillar moment whatever why do i need words it's just a podcast uh but before we get started uh evan has sent out to our patrons who are part of the relevant tiers the uh link for march badness uh our brackets we have different prizes to give away we have a red wings jersey a red wings adidas authentic jersey we have winged wheel podcast custom jerseys we have you know, uh, when we'll podcast swag, we might throw a ticket or two in there. Uh, so be sure to get your bracket in before March Madness starts, which I believe is in a few days here. Um, do so on March that. 19th, I believe. I think it's earlier than that. Is it not the 16th? Nope. You might be right. No, it's Friday's the 19th, right? Yeah, we'll figure it out. Yeah, Friday's the 19th. Uh, 
whenever it is, make sure you check your Patreon messages and get that uh, filled in. All right. Um, the Red Wings. Let's talk about their two games, and we'll first cover the one that just ended uh, against Carolina. Here's the quick recap. Carolina is a really good team. They scored twice. Mantha spoiled the shutout at the end. Nothing else happened. Succinct to the point and 100% factual. You ever like, you know how like certain things in your life, you just kind of autopilot. You're just doing, you know, a repetitive task at work or something you've done a billion times. And then you snap to, and it's an hour and a half later. That was this game for me. I, I remember I looked at my phone and there was maybe 10 minutes left in the third period. I'm like, I don't think I've tweeted anything in two hours. I should probably remind everybody that I am in fact here uh, and that I apologize for those who are looking for some content in a game like that. Yeah, I posted two clips, one of Zadina not shooting when I thought he should have shot and one of uh, Martin Nook yelling fuck, but I captioned it <laughs> dang because I thought that was funny and that's the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think uh, when Mantha scored with nine seconds left to make it 2-1, I, I, my goal re- reaction was I just put the word neat. <laughs> So the uh, game against the Lightning on Thursday was much more thrilling. That was pure chaos. The uh, over-under on that game was set at five and a half. The the Red Wings uh, almost single-handedly did that in 25 minutes into the game. (laughs) Who would have seen that coming? (laughs) 6-4 win over the Lightning, and it was thrilling the whole way through. So maybe let's talk about that game for a little bit here. Um, First... Having both Stetcher and Larkin back makes this team different. Like, yeah, defensively, yes, but also offensively with Stetcher scoring a really nice goal, Larkin uh, contributing as well. Like, it just, those are very clearly two of Detroit's best players this year. And it's not a really an argument one way or another. A lot of people would, I think, fairly argue that Stetcher is Detroit's best defenseman right now. So having both of them back really helps take the edge off of a rough season. Yeah. And every once in a while, a team gets lucky. Um, You know, the Red Wings got an outstanding goaltending performance that game. Tampa didn't. Although that being said, most of Detroit's goals, I know there were a lot of McElhinney jokes going around, but there weren't many fluky goals out of the six. I mean, Stetchers and Fabries were bar down, absolute snipes. Uh, Larkins was a cross crease pass from Hironic to tap in an empty net. No goalies getting that one. I mean, they were legitimate goals. The difference in that game was Tampa had way more chances and, uh, God, I can't even remember who was playing that game. Bernier? It was Bernier, right? Bernier. Yeah, of course it was Bernier because he stood on his head, somehow allowed four goals and was still the best player that game. And, um... Yeah, up until the third period where Detroit went into their old school prevent defense, just cave into a shell and, and try to limit Tampa's chances, absolutely backfired, as we all knew it would, because it has time and time again. But in a very uncommon occurrence, Detroit had built up such a sizable lead, it didn't matter. It's amazing what happens when you actually have some offense um, easily one of the, if not the most fun Red Wings games to watch this year because it was tons of action both ways for the most part. Beautiful goals, scrappy. These two teams do not like each other and that has been true over the last seven seasons since Detroit came into this division. It it really was one of the very few entertaining beginning to end games for Detroit this year. So, 
you know, as much as the score doesn't really indicate how the ice was tilted that game, I don't care. The Red Wings scored a bunch of goals and won. That's my takeaway from that game. And I'm not going to nitpick all the things they did wrong throughout the game because they did enough right to win. And it's very rare we can say that. The only thing I I wish they really would have done differently, like, you know, giving up two late goals and having a comeback uh, almost giving away or, or almost giving the lead away to a late Tampa Bay comeback. Like, yeah, that's annoying, but you're like, it's a bad team playing the defending cup champs. That's going to happen when you have leads. Um, the one thing I would have changed though, is instead of parking the bus in the third period, honestly, just double down and go for 10 goals. Why not? You're going to lose a lot of games this season. Anyways, you might as well have fun while you're doing it, but no, in all seriousness, seriousness. Yeah, that was, that was a good game. Bernier, but for those two late goals, um, you know, another fantastic performance. They don't do it without him. My thought after the first, you know, 20 minutes was, you know, when Evan makes those jokes where he's like, of course, they're playing Tampa over the next two games. They're going to take three or four points. I don't expect him to be literally right every time. But it's here we are. And Evan, uh, bless him, is trying to talk to you guys through a muted mic right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's my first day on the podcast. Those things are going to happen. Hey, welcome to the show, Evan. We're, uh, you have a fresh water bottle to your left and the button on the right, the big red button is your mute button. I'm sure you're going to get used to that one. One day I will figure it out. Yeah. Um, so here's the thing with this game. Svechnikov was indeed a scratch for this game as well. And even before the Carolina game, which we just talked about, he was sent down to Grand Rapids. I had like a 1% hope that he would be brought up, like I mentioned, which obviously was never going to be the case. I want to preface what me, Brad, maybe even Evan are going to say here with, look, it's okay to 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 be angry about these. It's okay to be upset with these deci- these decisions. It's important to not amplify them into anything more than just the player or the player's development or like philosophical beliefs on the personnel. Because in in the end, Svechnikov isn't a needle mover in terms of how many games this team is going to win this year that's not what this is about it's not that the red wings are terrible because they're sending down sending down svechnikov so important to note that that's not what anyone is saying when they're making these complaints and it's important to note while you're making these complaints or or, you know having these arguments about how the team should be coached that you're not making into something bigger than it is all of that said that is the only grain of salt or caveat or you know forgiveness i can find for the decision to send svechnikov down i don't get it I just I, – I don't get it. I get that there's guys coming back and, and it's a healthier team and it's harder to crack this roster. But is he not a player that you make an exception for based on how he's playing and where he is in his development? Sit a helm. Sit Ernie. Sit Brome. Like those – make room for Svechnikov because there's no point otherwise. I feel like I'm yelling at a brick wall here. All right. So I'm going to – do the thing I never do. And I'm going to start with the positive side of this in terms of, I'm going to try and take whatever angles I can to justify this decision first possible, because we don't know what's going on behind closed doors. We never know. So first possibility, this was prearranged. Eisenman, Blashill, whoever said, Hey, Evgeny, you're going to be here for this amount of time. Do what you can with it, but ultimately we have a plan and you're going to be going back down. So even if you're a point per game player in, you know, by, you know, the end of the first week of March, you're going down. Like that's just your plan. And they stuck to it. I mean, plans can be amended, but hey, if, 
If Evgeny was going into it, eyes wide open, no harm, no foul. The other one is the Red Wings. And, and people have j- been joking about this, but there is a legitimately legitimate argument to be made that the Red Wings have a ton of pending UFAs and they want to trade them. So they need to get them reps. They need to boost their trade value. They need to see what they can get out of anybody. We joke Darren Helm probably isn't a, a really good NHL player anymore, but he is a pending UFA. And hey, maybe there's a team that will take a sixth round flyer. And Adam Ernie, uh, pick whatever random UFA name you want. There's value in playing them because you could get value for them, which leads into the, and, and I think we've alluded to this before, but the odds are the Red Wings are going to be moving three, four, five guys at the deadline, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that opens up three, four, five roster spots after the deadline. So we are, they're going to have to be filled by somebody. There might be a warm body or two coming back in some of these trades, but for the most part, those spots are going to be filled by Svechnikov, Giovanni Smith, Tara Hirose, Chalosky, any combination of someone from Grand Rapids, because someone has to go in there. Like if Bobby Ryan and Luke Glendening and Mark Stahl and, you know, whoever gets shipped out, someone has to take those spots. So they're like, okay, yeah, it's nice that Svechnikov's playing great, but he's not going to get a ton of ice time right now. He'll get a ton in Grand Rapids. We'll see him again in a month. Fine. There is absolutely an argument to be made for that. And if that is indeed the plan, I'll even sit here and say, I don't fully disagree with what they did. That being said, how they did this. Not why, but the how I disagree with just about everything. Um, cause it's already easy to forget that Svechnikov was recalled for, I think it was about two to three weeks before he actually played a game. So they pulled him out of Grand Rapids. So he wasn't playing in Grand Rapids, but he wasn't playing in Detroit. And then we complained about that when it happened. And then Blashill said, Hey, when Evgeny gets his chance, it's going to be. Eight minutes a game. And then he's got to show us what he's going to do with eight minutes a game. Then he's going to give us nine minutes. And then he's got to show us what he can do with nine minutes a game. And I talked about it last episode. Like, I was actually grateful Blashill said that. It's the first time I've ever seen any real transparency from him on something like this before it happened. And I'm like, okay, well, hey, if we're all aware of the plan, Svechnikov's obviously aware of the plan. Good. Svechnikov did everything you could want him to do. Everything. Four points, four games. Didn't look like a liability defensively. Was helping out on the power play. Was good five on five. He got Franz Nielsen a goal, which was just a miracle worker. And then he gets pulled out of the lineup. Gets healthy scratched. And then he gets sent down. The first thing when he got sent down that I thought of is, I remember back at one of the Rent the Joes when we were getting a tour of the Red Wings room. I have a picture of a giant Red Wings logo from inside the dressing room that said "Earn this. It was their biggest, it was the biggest words painted anywhere in or around that dressing room. It was the Red Wings logo, earn this. What is Svechnikov going to think of that saying right now? If it wasn't a prearranged agreement that he would only be up for four games. He's like, what do you want me to do? You can't sit here and tell me that I wasn't one of the six, seven, eight, nine best forwards on this team while I was up here. He very clearly was. Here's the thing, though. Like, even if he wasn't, 
like uh, some people are saying four points in four games like yeah that's good but it's important to remember that he wouldn't he's not going to stay a point per game player if he stays up yeah, yeah of course. totally like that's fair but even if he wasn't even if he got one point in four games even if he had like one or two good games one average game and one bad game just think of the fact that this kid is 24 turning 25 he is coming off a brutal career path since being drafted based on injury and just like having to grind to make it I think even if he was doing bad, you make the exception to keep him up. Look, we touted, uh, uh, we touted Brome early on in the season, and Brome hasn't produced. He's turned out to be, and I, I saw this, um, I saw someone on the, the subreddit actually said this yesterday. I actually laughed a lot y- yesterday or today, and they're like, Brome is just 26 year old Darren Helm. And I think that's like close enough, right? Like, Darren Helm was a faster and a better grinder, but I think Brome has a little bit more natural. Uh, offensive talent but neither of them finish very well and both of them top out at like a third or fourth line forward at best at their peaks we touted Brome a lot at the beginning we said give him the opportunity he hasn't really panned out at least not with this iteration of the team and I don't think he's going to be much more than a third or fourth line guy like again not a needle mover pull him out pull him out even if he's playing better than Sveshnikov pull Ernie out even if he's playing it better playing better than Sveshnikov pull whoever out because you need to do something with the asset that's a first round pick you spent the kid is still not a known entity entity in the NHL give him the reps so you're making a great point Brad he has earned it at least through four games which is just such a dramatic thing to say but you're right but even if that wasn't the case like it shouldn't even come down to that in my mind no, and that doesn't even get into the big picture view. They have 11 UFAs this summer. What the hell are they going to do next year? They can't put 11 rookies in there. I know that's over-exaggeration because they're going to re-sign some of these guys and they'll pull a couple vets. But, I mean, you can't leave Hiroshi, Giovanni Smith, Evgeny Svechnikov in Grand Rapids next year. You can't. You can't leave Cholosky down there again. You can't leave... He hasn't even been there, but uh, this year, but he can't leave Cider down there. So you're what gonna? You're comfortable going five, six rookies in the lineup next year? Man, even for me, that's a bit much. I, I'd rather see that than what we have now. But still, it's moving from one problem to another. I would have liked to have seen a better, a better staggered approach to this. And it's good that Rasmussen stuck this year. At least it seems. So you know, I guess we got to take the small <laughs> victories. We're, he's for now. Yeah, he's. Whatever. But um, yeah, like I just, he's not 20. He's not one of these guys where like, oh, they're keeping Cider away to protect him. They're keeping Valeno away to protect him. They're keeping Giovanni Smith away to protect him. He's almost 25. We're well past that point with, with Evgeny. He should be a regular. He is more of the future of this team than eight forwards on this roster currently, at least six or seven. I just, I don't get it. And if the plan was, yeah, he's going to be like a second, third line winger after the trade deadline. We're going to have spots that we're going to need to fill. Fine. He should have never left Grand Rapids if that was the plan. Because he, over the last month, he's played four games. Nobody can tell me that's good for him. Injury or not. Like when you're rehabbing an injury, you need to rehab it. Like... He wouldn't be playing if it wasn't ready to go. And the only thing that he needs to do now is strengthen it, which is through reps. I just, it's yeah. so frustrating because, and of course, with yeah. this organization, there's no transparency. The one little bit of transparency we got from Blashill, of all people, was a lie. 
it it's just it's a never-ending cycle of bullshit that makes no sense yeah and i think you hit it at the end there like once the roster spot opens up through trade or maybe someone gets ltir'd or whatever like it's gonna happen with this team especially with all the pending ufas and you're right that's fine that's a perfectly good plan it's just all those annoying little steps getting there it's if this was the first time, you know, you made the joke at the beginning, and we're going to wrap up this topic in a second. Um, you made the joke in the beginning of uh, that this being the only time this ever happened. If that was genuinely the case, this wouldn't be a conversation. It would be, huh, that's some weird decision making, but we'll see if Genny back and whenever after the trade deadline, most likely. I'm not predicting that. It's not on the record. Um, then, yeah, but it's it's almost like every single time there's a prospect, the, the Cholowskis, the the Svechnikovs, the what have you, this is how it's gone. And that was even pre-Eisman. That's Holland. That's Blashill. That's Babcock. And I just – maybe we just want to feel something, but I just want some change in how this is handled. It's also important to remember that these all come in the big garbage been that you get when you're a rebuilding team like everything gets colored with the whole rebuild aspect of it like your team sucks prospects are going to have a harder time you have to shelter them to some degree blah 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 blah. like it all sucks but it still it doesn't add up to this was a reasonable decision that's that's the thesis of it no and we could we, we won't have it today but we could have a much larger argument about is this even the right course of action to shelter your prospects you know what team didn't do that when they had a million of them toronto and they're one of the best teams in the league right now um you know look at ottawa right now in the middle of the rebuild <laughs> their top six is almost entirely players under the age of 25 i they're they'll be further along in our rebuild than us even if we have better players just because they know what they are they know right now Drake Batherson is really damn good. They know Brady Kachuk is really damn good. They know Tim Stutzla is really damn good. And they have Josh Norris is really damn good. And then they have a bunch of other guys on the roster right now who are sinking. Okay, let's not waste a lot of time and effort on this guy. He's had, you know, a year or two and he's not getting it. Fine. You know, cut ties and move on. We should not be sitting here. With a 25 or near 25 year old former first round pick going, I wonder what this guy could be. Like that should never be a question in a rebuild. You should have a really good idea by the time the guy's 21 or 22. There are very rare exceptions where when they get turned 23, 24, 25, something changes. It happens. So I'm not going to sit here and say, uh, you know, we got to write this guy off. We got to write that guy off, but it's rare. So I just. I get it, but I don't is the, and that's the problem. Well, uh, my spidey senses are tingling in that. I think we're going to have this discussion again this year. So until then, uh, let's wrap that up. And uh, before we jump into the interview with Scott, I actually want to tell you all that this episode of the Wind Wheel podcast is proudly brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook, who we're thrilled to partner with as they give us fans what we really need, more excitement. FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook for a lot of reasons. It's easy to use. It's fantastic from registration to deposit deposits and finding great bets. Withdrawals are quick and easy. You get your your money back in as soon as 24 hours and they're constantly running special deals and odds boosts listen to this FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just place a bet on any game and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back if you don't win your first bet. No strings attached. If you win, you keep the cash. And if you lose, you'll get up to $1,000 back in site credit. We wish we couldn't bet on games. 
They have Carolina again on Tuesday and then Dallas on Thursday. Uh, that would be a fun time to try and make some money on the underdog. Uh, but we're excited that you have the opportunity to download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started with a risk-free bet of up to $1,000. Be sure to sign up with promo code Winged Wheel po- or WWP, sorry, promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel podcast sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP. You must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Virginia, Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789, www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia, or call one 800 7117 in Michigan. How was that, Evan? I saw a lot of not active nodding while I was doing that one. I was impressed by the speed and the execution of Thank that you. ad read. It was Thank excellent. You. It's not the first time I've heard that today. Um, <laughs> all right. This interview, yeah, yeah. That's that's a Brad style tweet spoken out. Have you seen Brad on Twitter lately, Evan? No. To take his, he's tweeting like a horny old boomer. A lot of innuendo, too much innuendo. That was like twice. Twice too many. Yeah, Spring has fair, sprung, you know. The the old people are getting out there. It's getting warm. Their joints are getting loose. You know? Was that just, two innuendos in that one sentence on purpose? I don't even know. <laughs> I believe that fully. We're going to jump into uh, our chat with Scott Wheeler. We talk everything from uh, 2021 draft prospects, 2022 draft prospects, uh, the Red Wings prospect pipeline and where it ranks in the NHL, and um, also his good or bad food takes. So without further ado, enjoy. All right, Scott, welcome back. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I feel like I'm a recurring guest at this point. I think you, Scott Wheeler, are our most recurring guest at this point. Um, it's an honor. Well, thank you for for that. Brad will send you the five dollars afterwards. <laughs> uh, everyone, this is the Winged Wheel Podcast, uh, joined again by Scott Wheeler, uh, national reporter covering the NHL draft for the Athletic. Uh, we've had Scott on a bunch, and there's a good reason for that. And for those of you listening to Scott for the first time, you are going to hear just why. Uh, in addition to covering all things draft and having an insane level of insight into uh, NHL prospects, Scott is also writing a book, which will be coming out within the next couple of years or year and a half. So that is something to be excited about as well. But for now, uh, Scott Wheeler, this is our interview. Brad, you take it away. All right. So obviously, this is going to be a big interview with the draft date somewhat being finalized, the draft lottery being changed, a lot of updates on the Red Wings system. Scott just released his 2021 rankings, a first look at the 2022 rankings. So before we started recording, I figured I should just scroll his Twitter feed to see if there's anything I'm missing. And Scott, I I stumbled across a tweet from yesterday that I I have to ask. I'm going to read the tweet verbatim so uh, everybody knows what I'm working with here. And I quote, once a year, I light Twitter on fire with the following. And now it's 2021's turn. Pie of all kinds tastes like sand. Peanut butter is trash and makes everything it's mixed with worse. Oatmeal raisin cookies, greater than everything else. The sight and smell of Kraft Dinner makes me want to vomit. Scott, I don't know if I can trust you anymore. I feel like there's got to be common ground on a couple of those. Like Kraft Dinner, (laughs) are you kidding me? Kraft Dinner is terrible. I will concede the craft dinner one. I, I think I'm with you that we're in the minority on that one, but the other three, I just, I can't justify in any you're not, way. 
You're not a fan of the oatmeal raisin? I it's fine, but there's about five other types of cookies at least mm-hmm, that mm-hmm, that get no, priority no. over that. That's where you lose me. Yeah, you know, here's where I, I knew the peanut butter. Stuff. I knew the peanut butter and the pie was was going to be an issue for people it's typically been an issue for people whenever those threads pop up of name your unpopular food opinions but pie crust man like i'll take a good cake cheesecake any kind of dessert and and even meat pies like you're just taking ingredients and making them worse by adding this dry crust to it and that has been our interview with It, it's funny because there's a small mom and pop restaurant just outside of Kitchener that makes a peanut butter pie. And that's one of my top oh, five no, favorite no, foods. No, thank you. <laughs> like who's, is this a hotter food take this tweet than anything Travis Yost has posted in the last couple of years or, or do we still give Travis the, crown? I don't think, I don't think we need to go that far, but it's actually <laughs> kind of ironic because my wife just fiends peanut butter and she's currently pregnant. And so she's been giving me a hard time about like our child is going to eat peanut butter, whether you like it or not. So I do, uh, I did find kinship when I saw the next tweet in that thread, which I feel didn't get enough attention because I felt it was the valid ultimate truth. And it ties into your oatmeal cookie, which is uh, candy, like just general candy is better than chocolate. Yeah, I feel like that shouldn't even be a hot take. Like a good no. gummy candy. Oh, I'll take yeah. I'll take the bag of Skittles or Starburst off the shelf before I grab a Twix or an O Henry or or any of that. One hundred percent. I cannot disagree strongly enough with you too. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we bring this around to something more agreeable? Uh, which is Scott, you just completed your annual project. It's obviously a huge undertaking, which is ranking every single team's mm-hmm. prospect system. Um, and this has been the best year I think since you've started for the Red Wings, and they came in number four. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you said it off the top. This is my biggest project of the year, my biggest project of of every hockey season. You'd think that the draft month and that that sort of grind in June would be be the busier time, but it's actually January, February when I do this product, this project. Um, and and Detroit, I mean, the, the, by virtue of a picking, basically more than any other team has picked. Like the seems like every year the draft rolls around and they've got two drafts worth of selections. So I think that's a factor. Uh, You're just more likely to have hits, whether you're actually drafting well with the picks that you have or not, when you just have that volume that the Red Wings have had in recent years. And then obviously now you've you've got the emergence of Moritz Sider as one of the top D prospects, if not the top D prospect in the world. And then you've got Lucas Raymond, who's a player who I've been very fond of for a long time. So those two pieces are required to be, even if you have all the depth in the world and you've made a ton of selections and you've hit on some of those selections, I think you still need those sort of two pieces at the top. Uh, And then below that, I mean, we've talked to, uh, you guys know better than anyone, I'm sure your listeners do too, that I was a big Joe Bellino guy sort of growing up, uh, still haven't given up hope on Joe Bellino. And then Jonathan Bergeron, I mean, this year he's been sensational, right? So that maybe if it doesn't give you a third prospect in that tier, it now gives you a player who's maybe a little bit closer to that cut of prospect than you might have expected a year ago or two years ago when he was battling all of those injuries. So it's been a really nice sort of crescendo here as they've put all of the pieces together and uh, we'll see what happens with the next draft and the draft after that. It's not like the Red Wings are suddenly going to become a contender. So I think there's opportunity for them to continue to build that pool out. 
Um, and it, it's, it's, it's just from top to bottom, really interesting. Even the D prospects that the Red Wings now have in their group with Wallander and Tuomisto. Tuomisto is a kid who I was a huge, huge fan of uh, in his draft year and still am to this day. I've spoken with coaches at Denver. They absolutely love him. They think the world of him. They think he's going to be one of the best, best defensemen in college hockey as a sophomore or as a junior. Um, and, and, and Wallander, I mean, Wallander's, he, he's a little bit of a freak and he's a raw kid still, but there's just interest there that that I think has held me and has allowed that pool to to remain quite strong even after you get through Cider and Raymond. So obviously we almost everybody listening's probably read your rankings um but what I'm always interested in is specific perspectives from specific people cuz everybody's rankings different mm-hmm. are and you know, you talk to five different scouts, five different people, and you'll get five different rankings. Who do you find are the two Red Wings prospects that compared to your peers, you're more bullish on and you just don't quite see what everybody else is seeing? Well, I think Tuomisto is probably that kid that I'm more bullish on. I, I think he's got a legitimate chance. His skating is still a little bit of an issue, but if he if he can really put it all together he's talented. He can make plays in the offensive zone and then he's huge. Right. So I, I think that part of Tuomisto has always really, really intrigued me. Um, so he's probably a kid that I'm a little bit more bullish on in terms of kids that I'm a little lower on. I would actually probably add Robert Mastro Simone to that group in terms of kids that I'm really bullish on. I really like Robert. Um, and I'm not sure whether he's going to be an NHLer, but I just really like who he is as a prospect and the way that he plays. Um, in terms of being lower on, I'm not sure whether there's a ton that I, I I've kind of caved in on or that I'm disappointed by. Um, I really don't love the goalies. Uh, I, I think that's probably still that that sort of big hole. The Red Wings have drafted a ton of goalies in recent years. Like I, I think I wrote it in the piece, but they, they've got to have more goalie prospects than any team in the league. Like they've got, it's like they've got ten guys, right? So that part of it, I think, is disappointing for me because I still don't see a lot there. Obviously, Keith Petrozelli has had a, a a really good year and has really come along. And I've spoken to staff there as well, and. He was just kind of a string bean when he arrived and and sort of uncoordinated and just coming into his frame has taken him some time. So I think there's reason to be at least a little bit excited about Keith, but I don't know beyond Keith, it's, it's a, it's a thin group. So I think that's an area that there's, they're still going to have to find a solution for. Now, one player I was interested in uh, hearing more thoughts on, and you did outline this a little bit or pretty well in the article, I should say, uh, Elmer Soderblom had a, a really good showing at the mm-hmm. World Juniors, obviously was on the highlight reel and has been someone that, you know, we've been speculative about, but has kind of rocketed up a lot of rankings or internal rankings. Yeah, do yeah. you see him as a, you, you have him 14th in the third tier. Do you see that as a promising 14th or are you still kind of on the fence about him? I think that's a promising 14th. And there was, I, I, I talked about it a little bit in, in some of the Q and A's that I did after the fact, but he, he's a kid who I could have listened to an argument on at sort of 10, 11, that kind of a range. Um, I mean, he's fascinating. He's a unicorn. The, the hands are just, I mean, it's ridiculous. Like a kid that big in the NHL, how many players can handle the puck at that size? I mean, it's probably who Kevin Hayes, Blake Wheeler, uh, it's a it's a very very short list. Miko Rantanen and even Rantanen's nowhere near 
where Soderblom's at, right? So um, it, it's a pretty short list in terms of those sort of six foot four to six foot eight uh, prospects who who can who can make plays and can handle the puck and have soft hands and can figure things out in traffic. I think with Elmer, one of the problems he runs into is because he knows his hands are good and that he can make plays in tight to his body and then also protect the puck out wide because he's confident in those abilities. I think he can actually stop moving his feet at times and try to kind of reach around players or just delay and delay and delay. And then suddenly the the length advantage that he has isn't what it should be. So I still think there's some work to be done on that. Obviously skating with those kids is always going to be an issue. I don't think he looks like he's kind of snowshoes. Like some of those kids with big feet can look like, uh, but it's still not going to be a major asset for him. So I don't know. His skill in tight to the net on the power play will have value in the AHL and in the NHL on kind of the second power play unit, I think. Um, but can the rest of his game be enough to keep him in the NHL rather than just being a, a good AHL player? And it's been really fun to watch him play. I think the World Juniors gets all of the talk, but he's actually been quite fun when he's played with Lucas Reina. They've played a decent number of shifts together now uh, on that team. And um, I don't know. There's there's definitely something there. And he's the kind of player that if I'm a development coach, I'm dying to work with. So we're not going to go into too much more granular detail on this. I really encourage uh, listeners to go read this piece. It's an excellent way to stay apprised of, like Scott mentioned, (laughs) a pretty expansive prospect system. Um, Having a a picture of this entire Red Wings prospect pool and, and whatever knowledge you have of the team as is, what would you identify as the single biggest need for the Red Wings prospect pool right now? Well, it's hard to say this when you've got Lucas and and Moritz coming, but I still think they're going to need a game breaker. Like, uh, I I love Anthony Mantha. I love Dylan Larkin. I think Lucas and Moritz are are awesome. Uh, Zadina, et cetera, et cetera. There are pieces there. Bergeron hopefully can be a a middle six winger for you who can play on your top power play unit or at at least sort of make a huge impact on your second power play unit. Uh, Great perimeter skills. So there are pieces there, but... It is a core of Larkin, Mantha, uh, Cider, Raymond. Is is that the kind of group that's going to win a Stanley Cup? Even if those all of those players, especially Moritz and, and Lucas, if they hit their primes, if they hit their ceilings, is that still going to be enough when you look at the, the teams that are contending nowadays, whether it's the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Leafs, uh, even Vegas and Colorado. And, and obviously St. Louis is a bit of an outlier there in terms of the, the fact that they just don't really have that star power. But it, I don't know whether it's going to be enough. And then you've got to find a goalie. So I, I don't know whether that's a, a, a firm answer to your question, but I do think that they still need, and it's silly to say that because every t- every team wants those guys, but they still need. They're going to need another star, I think, to add to that group. Even if all, even if Lucas and and Moritz become stars, so y- the hope is that you get that in in the next draft or maybe two drafts from now, uh, and then you can finally sort of come out of this this rut that they've been in for the last few years. So I don't know. It's 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 a weird timing because this draft is is not a strong one, and I'm sure we'll get into it. But the 2021 draft probably isn't going to give you that type of a guy, even if you're a team like the Red Wings and you're likely going to pick in the top five and that kind of a thing. So I don't know. It's a, it's a sticky situation. They could end up, they're going to come out of it a good team. I'm just not sure whether they're going to come out of it as a true, true sort of top of the NHL team. Well, thank you for the perfect segue, because one of the reasons Detroit is lacking that true game breaker is they haven't won a draft lottery. And Mm. Those rules just got reworked. Um, 
we've hashed it out, so I won't get into details again, but only two lottery winners can't move up more than 10 spots twice in five years. As someone who eats, sleeps, breathes, lives the draft, what are your thoughts on the changes here? I don't love it. I understand why Red Wings fans would be strongly in favor of it based off of everything that's happened. And I can empathize with with what's gone on with how unlucky the Red Wings have been at the lottery. But I think when you start to make decisions that are based off of results, like say the Red Wings at the sort of negative side of things or on the positive side of things, teams like New Jersey and Edmonton just getting a little bit too lucky over the years, I think you can quickly stray from, okay, are we making decisions based off of what's happened or based off of the likelihood of those things actually happening. And the like, the truth is that the likelihood of all three of those teams, New Jersey, Edmonton, and, and Detroit having the outcomes that they've had is very, very, very minute. Um, and it just feels like the NHL is always trying to play catch up and, and be a little bit too reactionary. I don't hate the rules. They don't change it in any significant way, but it just feels like they're taking something that was fairly simple in terms of the average fan and they're turning it into something that's very complicated that only diehard fans are going to be able to really understand. They're adding all of these layers in terms of how many times have we won it in the last few years and how many picks can we move up? And it just feels like it's getting needlessly complicated and like an event that should be an easy sell for the league in terms of generating interest from 16, soon to be 16 teams a year. Once we're at 32 teams with Seattle, it just seems like they're, they're, approaching it for the wrong reasons or they're making their decisions for the wrong reasons in an effort to take a league that already has so much parity and prevent teams bad teams in particular um prevent them from from winning multiple times or from getting lucky repeatedly or from using that that sort of window to turn things around and it just feels like between parity and the complications that it it's just kind of the classic NHL move and I don't love it for that reason so what's Scott's Wheeler perfect uh, draft rankings mm. system? Is it a lottery? Is it you know, the gold plan? Is it something else like no holes? What would you prefer? Well, I don't hate the gold plan. I'm not as bullish about it as, as some people are. I think it would be really interesting, but I'm not sure in practice how effectively it would actually work to, to kind of serve the purpose in terms of the draft helping the team, the bottom teams without guaranteeing the bottom teams, anything um so that part of it I, I i don't know i honestly don't know what my what my solution would be i i don't hate it how it's currently constructed i think having three draft lotteries from a fan's perspective is more fun than having two um it cr- just creates more excitement uh so that part of it i think is interesting in terms of the way it's currently constructed and i think uh, by and large the the bad teams will win the majority of the time as it's currently constructed which is the intended purpose, right? You want the bad teams to more often than not win. And you also want to make sure that you're not guaranteeing the bad teams anything in in an effort to prevent as best you can the sort of quote unquote idea of tanking, right? So I don't know. I I feel like the tinkering is fine. I'm, I'm not too fussed about it. But I think as it's currently constructed in its format of the last few years, it has, it has been fine. Um, and one more question before we actually jump into 2021 players. Uh, as someone who works in the sphere as an NHL scout, you, a lot of your work depends on the timing of the NHL draft. What was your yeah. take on the decision to keep it in July rather than push it to a December, or January, or possibly next year? 
I mean, for completely selfish reasons, I love that. Um, and, and that's because on top of the evaluation side of things, I've also got the content side of things to worry about and keeping it on a regular schedule for strictly for my purposes, honestly, is a good thing because it means that I don't have to spend another year writing about this draft class. And it means that we can hit those sort of tentpole pieces of coverage that I produce every year on a regular schedule. From a draft perspective and from the scouting side of things in terms of the conversations I've had with scouts and teams, I, I think if you'd asked them two or three months ago, they would have been pretty reluctant to to know that, okay, we're going to stick on the July schedule. And I think if you'd asked them today, they're actually, by and large, everyone I think is pretty well okay with it. There are still a few managers out there who are pretty bullish about being disappointed that it's likely going to stick in July. But I think scouts have come to terms with the sample sizes that they've had. Outside of the OHL, every single league that matters has now played games. The WHL is obviously just getting started. And even the players in the w- in the OHL, at least the top ones, almost all of the first and second round picks in the OHL went over to Europe. They played in Slovakia. They played in Switzerland, whether it's Brennan Offman, Mason McTavish, um, on and on, Brant Clark, obviously. So those kids have played. I, I do feel for the kids who are further down the the sort of board though, right? Like the kids who weren't good enough or name big enough names to go over from the OHL and the WHL and play those kids, no matter what NHL teams say about the work that they've done in those kids and how they're going to treat everybody fairly. And they're not going to be biased by the leagues that are playing. Those kids are at a huge disadvantage, right? It's just inevitable that those kids in the OHL and the WHL who are going in rounds three to seven are are less likely to be picked than the kids who were playing in college hockey or playing in the USHL or playing in leagues across Europe or even playing high school hockey in the States because most of those leagues have continued to play. Um, so all of that is, is I think, a factor. And now I, I think we're on a good track. It's The U18s are going to happen in Texas of all places. Um, we're going to hit some of those milestones. I do believe that the OHL will still get some kind of if not a season, some kind of an event will take place in the OHL that allows those prospects to play games and to get scouted. Uh, And it's not an ideal best case scenario for anyone involved, but I think there's too much money tied up for the players, for the teams, for the Seattle Kraken who want to get these kids into their program and want these kids to be playing uh, and want them as assets for trades in their first season. All of those things just mattered too much to the teams and the leagues and the players for them to delay it, I think. All right. Well, let's jump into talking about those players specifically. Uh, your rankings recently released for the 2021 NHL draft, midseason rankings, of course. So as it is subject to change, uh, again, you're going to win the hearts of a lot of uh, Red Wings fans on this one. So if they disagreed with you on uh, your take about the draft lottery, they're going to like the fact that you had three of your top five uh, ranked prospects being from the University of Michigan, uh, mm-hmm. number one overall being Owen Power. So uh, walk us through what makes Power your top pick and, and maybe a general overview of the strength of the top of this class. And not only that, but to get back into the good graces, I had Mackie Samoskovich and Luke Hughes. Luke Hughes was also in my top five, and Samoskovich, who's another Michigan commit, was in my first round. So uh, we're, we're on the University of Michigan train here. Uh, no, I, I mean, in terms of... Uh, in terms of Owen Power, it, it's tough because, it, again, my my to the top of my draft this year was kind of a group, or at least as it stands right now, is kind of a group of five players. 
And it's been a long, long, long time. Uh, this is my eighth or ninth draft that I've covered full time. Uh, and it's been a long, I'm not sure I've ever had a, had a board that has looked quite like this one in terms of there just being no clear cut option at the top. I have tended to lean Owen because I think he's a safe bet in a draft class that is filled with quirky prospects who I think have a huge bust risk. Uh, I don't think I don't think there's much of that risk for Owen. I'm not sure he's going to be a Norris Trophy winner or a true number one defenseman, but he's going to be a top four guy who can play in all situations. He's talented enough to run a power play, uh, and then he's a staunch enough defender with with a lot of the tools that you look for in terms of just re- playing regular even strength shift, maybe even playing tough minutes at even strength and matchup situations and that kind of a thing. So I think that just has huge value. And then you consider the risk that a lot of those other players at the have at the top have, including Kent Johnson, who is just that sort of skinny, uh, hasn't physically matured type. Brant Clark, exact same thing, skinny kid, his knees knock a little bit. He's not an athlete in the traditional sense in terms of what we see these kids as these days. Um, you go down the list, there are worries about all of those kids. And I just never have have bought into the fact that there are huge worries about Owen Power, at least not worries in terms of, okay, this kid, if we pick him in the top five, he may not even become a good player for us. That kind of thing just hasn't entered the conversation with me for Owen. So for now, I've just felt a little bit safer with him at the top, which is not, frankly, a way that I typically approach my boards. But in such a weird year with scouting being what it was, I think playing it safe is is going to enter into the conversation more than it typically does. So to follow up that point, um, we're going to get you to put on your GM hat here and we've handed you Steve Eiserman's job. As you alluded to earlier, the Red Wings are lacking a game breaker and that's their biggest issue in their prospect pool right now. If you're Eiserman and the Red Wings you know, by some miracle, get the first overall pick. Are you still going with power, understanding that there might be some players with some higher upside behind him, but have that risk factor? So basically what I'm asking is because the Red Wings need a home run, are you willing to take more risk or do you still take power? Yeah, with it's interesting with Owen because Moritz and Owen, they're cut from the same cloth in in more ways than one. I wouldn't say that they're exactly the same player. I would say that Owen is probably a more mature offensive player at this stage in his development than, than Moritz was two years ago. And I would say that Moritz was a more advanced defensive player in part because of all of that pro experience he'd gotten that in that year leading into his draft year. And also just because I think he's a little bit more of a polished defender and probably a slightly better skater in terms of this, at least the skating tools that, that matter to defending and to defending the rush. Um, but do you want more of a good thing? Like, do you want, the question ultimately becomes whether you want a player who's kind of in that similar vein, who's kind of going to be a a tough minutes type, who can play in all situations, who gives you length, um, and who can do a little bit of everything and do it extremely well. And then also has offense. Moritz has developed his offense, I would say, in the last, especially this season uh, in the SHL. He's just become much more assertive. We already know that Owen feels that way about the way that he plays the game. He plays the game with a lot of, a lot more creativity than you might expect out of a six foot five player, that kind of a thing. So I, I think that's, it would be an interesting conversation all told uh, if I'm being honest, because you look at the players after Owen power 
And they're all, as I said, kind of quirky in their own way. But the only true game breaker at, at the very top of his ceiling in that group is probably Ken Johnson, who has a chance to be a true first-line player in the NHL and be a dynamic threat on the power play and all of that, but also comes with, with some of the warts that I mentioned in terms of just being a little bit of a skinnier kid and having some development to do in terms of his physical nature. And he kind of reminds you of Elias Pettersson at that same age in terms of just being a little bit thin and, and teams being a little gun shy with that kind of a player when so many of these kids are much stronger, more developed athletes these days. So it, it would be interesting that the players after that, frankly, I'm not sure they're going to be more of that sort of game breaker than someone like Owen Power is. I'm not sure that Matt Beneers or William Eklund um, or even Luke Hughes, who I think has a chance to be a, a top of the lineup player, are going to be true, true game breakers in terms of that sort of dynamic, dynamic package that you need to really elevate an organization. I just think they're going to be very good players in their own ways. So I don't know. I, I, it, it's an interesting question and, and one I'm sure the Red Wings will ask themselves in, in terms of Owen Power, but I'm not sure I fall pretty like firmly on either side of that aisle. So obviously we touched on it earlier with the WHL just getting started. The OHL hasn't played based on the limited viewings and last year's viewings of players in these two leagues. Who who are the guys that you think have been hurt the most by this in the sense that right now they're going to be ranked in most people's second, third, fourth, fifth round. And you, you see that skill that you think if they get a season or they had a season, they would rocket up the rankings. Yeah, I think there are a few players who have been sort of quote-unquote hurt for it. If you're looking at players who are, say, sort of first-round options, uh, I would look at Logan Stankoven uh, out of the WHL. He's five foot eight, but he's a stocky five foot eight, and in a draft that is that is uh, heavy on forwards who can kind of play a two-way style game and maybe light on forwards who have a dynamic quality. Logan is one of the most gifted players with the puck on his stick inside the offensive zone in the class. So I think that could have had really interesting value, kind of in the same way that Cole Caulfield had value in his draft class, uh, just because he's he's different. He, he, he's a risk for sure, uh, but I think he could have massaged some of those concerns had he been able to play or had he been one of those kids who went to the USHL or went to Slovakia or went to Switzerland to play. So because he didn't do that, it, it, it may be tough for a team to take a gamble on a first round talent in the first round. Uh, and then if you look a little bit sort of further down my board, I would say that Wyatt Johnston, uh, a kid with the Windsor Spitfires, really comes to mind. He was a third overall pick into the OHL. He was a star a star in minor hockey. And last season he was good, but he wasn't great in Windsor. And he'd really begun to hit his stride in the second half of the season. And the people there absolutely love him. And he was a kid that they said, this kid's going to take that kind of Connor McMichael step forward, that Philip Tomasino step forward, where you go from being a good prospect to being something more than that, either in your draft year or in your post-draft season. And he's a kid with a lot of skill who I think could have been a point-per-game player in the OHL this year, and another kid who didn't go over to Europe or the USHL. So those are probably two names that immediately come to mind. But, I mean, you go right down the list. There's a ton of kids. If, if you're not a Brant Clark uh, or a Mason McTavish who went over to Europe, it, you're in a tough spot. Now, before we transition to the a quick look at the 2020, 20- 
22 draft. I'm going to get you to put on your GM hat one more time to follow up with the quirkiness of the OHL not playing. Obviously, with the NHL trade deadline coming up, the Red Wings have a ton of UFAs, ton of prospects. Steve Eisman's not been shy about saying he wants to get more picks. If you're an NHL GM, how do you value second round picks this year? Do you value them more because you know players like this are going to slip or do you value them less because you're going into it with more risk? I think I would set my value in terms of assessing those picks based off of how other teams are assessing them. If you get a sense that teams feel like this is a bad draft and they feel like because they've underscouted this draft that they're, how bad it is is maybe exaggerated for them, then I would, be, I would love to capitalize on that and to say, okay, let's stockpile as many picks as we can in this draft while the market value on those picks is low. And if we think there's more value in those picks than, than the other guys, then, then let's go after it. So I think that's where that conversation always kind of has to start and end with me. I, I think it's less about how strong or weak that draft class is and more about how are other teams setting the market for what they think is the strength of that draft class. So this draft class, if, if the question is just whether this draft class is strong or weak and as such second round picks or third round picks have lesser value, I, I think the simple answer is yes. This is not a strong draft class, both at the top of the draft in terms of that sort of top 10 that you expect a draft class to have full of stars or potential stars. And then also in terms of the depth, my board, I really start to get disappointed in some of the kids on my board at, at kind of 50, uh, around 50 in this group. And last year, I, that happened around 70. So uh, there are fewer numbers in terms of just the number of prospects that I, that I like. And part of that's because I haven't had a chance to watch as many prospects as I normally would. Uh, but uh, all told, I would say, even if this draft class were playing and we're playing a regular schedule, it's probably a weaker group than, than we, than we're used to nowadays. So speaking about, uh, the strength of draft classes, obviously there's a lot being made of the 2022 draft class for good reason. Uh, it's headed by Shane Wright and, uh, you know, right behind him are two guys in Brad Lambert and, um, Matt Savoy, who people might argue could be first overall picks in their own years. Yeah. Depending on the circumstance, how does that draft stack up to previous drafts? We know how, how we, how it would compare to 2021 in your mind, but how about 2020 in, in previous years and how important of a prospect is Shane Wright in that first overall pick scope? Yeah, it, it's very important. I mean, as great as Jack Hughes is and as great as I still think Alexi Lafreniere are, Shane Wright's further ahead than those kids were at the same age, right? So if you're looking back at 2019 and 2020 in particular at the top of those drafts, it's it, at the very top, it, it, it looks stronger. And I, I say that cautiously because I actually really, really liked last year's draft between Raymond and Holtz and Perfetti and Anton Lundell. Like it was a very, very good group at the top, better than usual and certainly better than the year before. Um, but 2022 looks really, really strong. In 2023, I mean, it's way early for 2023, but um, Michkov in 2023 is is he's going to be a superstar. Uh, it's almost a shame that he signed for three full seasons after his draft to play in the KHL. So um, it, it's it's the next couple of years are going to be a lot of fun to cover. I think a lot more fun than the last two years, both with the combination of talent and the the way that the pandemic has impacted coverage of the last two years and the excitement about the draft in the last two years. Um, so that that's all part of the conversation for me. But the 2022 draft, I mean, we already know 
even with some of those kids having hardly played, that it's a very strong draft. And it's not just Shane Wright, who I think has that sort of John Tavares quality to him in terms of maybe not skating like a Connor McDavid or shooting like an Austin Matthews, but just having this complete game where he takes whatever is given to him on the ice and makes so much happen. Um, so that part is really, really exciting. I can't wait to watch Shane get back in action in Kingston. And he's a kid who made the tough decision not to go anywhere this fall. Well, well, other kids did, including Matt Savoy, who uh, is property of the Winnipeg ice, but, but went south to play in the USHL. So it, it, it's a fun group. Those, those three at the top certainly are already names uh, in terms of just being names that people are actually more familiar with than you would typically be this early in a draft process. People watch Brad Lambert at the World Juniors. Um, I think diehard hockey fans have followed him at least loosely over in Finland. Um, he's actually got a Canadian connection. His family's from Western Canada, so that's going to be a big sell in terms of draft coverage. Um, and then Savoy is, is a name because he applied for exceptional status, and he didn't get exceptional status like Shane Wright did. But when you're in that conversation and when that conversation is taken seriously – it's a big deal. So Savoy's a, a fabulous player in his own right. And then he's got a brother who's also obviously torn up college hockey with Denver this year as an, as an Oilers prospect. So uh, those three are good. And then on top of that, it's a very, very strong NTDP class, much, much stronger than the last two years. Obviously we know that last year's group, I mean, Thomas Bordalo is a fine prospect. Jake Sanderson's a good prospect, but last year's NTDP group was was really weak. Uh, and this year's group is is a little bit better than last year's, but still not a great group in terms of what they've been producing over the last few years. So next year, to have the NTDP get back at it and have 10 of the 22 players who, who were listed on my sort of early list, that's a big, big deal for them. And even if neither of none of those players are top three picks in the draft, uh, just the fact that they're going to have probably 10, 11, 12 kids taken in the first round, potentially, that's huge for USA hockey. So that part of it is fun. And then the third part of it about the 2022 draft that I should mention is that Slovakia is making a resurgence. And it's been fun in recent years to watch some of these countries, whether it was Nico Hichier out of Switzerland, and then obviously the last couple of years with all of the Germans that have come, um, some of these sort of second tier hockey countries that have have begun to produce talent and lost in that was the fact that Slovakia has been brutal at producing NHL talent for a long long time now and they just haven't been what they once were when Slovakia was Czechoslovakia right so it's it is it, it's it's fun that way next year's draft there are three legitimate first round players uh coming out of Slovakia which is going to be really cool to track those kids in part because that's also a very difficult league to evaluate. So I think those kids could go all over the place. Um, but it's it's just going to be a really good draft. There, there's a little bit of everything in next year's draft. And I think with the true star of Shane Wright at the top, it's, it's going to be a draft that people, I think, really fall in love with and really want to pay attention to. All right, Scott, we're going to let you go in just one second here. I want to ask you one very quick question. Hypothetical you have the chance to pick your own draft position of these two options over the next two seasons. Would you prefer to have the first overall pick this year and the sixth overall pick in 2022, or you can take the sixth overall pick this year and the third overall pick in 2022? Uh, probably, actually not even probably. I, I would take the, the sixth and the third. 
Um, I, I think the player you get at sixth overall this year isn't going to be that far behind the player who goes first overall. And I also think my second ranked player, Kent Johnson, could well be available at sixth overall, in which case you're basically taking a player who I think should go second, third, or fourth at sixth. Um, and then next year, I mean, third overall, you're going to get a star and, and maybe a player who could have gone first this year. So I'd probably take in terms of the actual so-called value of those picks, probably take the lesser picks in order to get a better player next year. Cause I, I really don't think the gap between Owen, let's say Owen power goes first overall this year. I don't think the gap between Owen power and whoever you're getting at sixth is going to be that pronounced. All right, folks, uh, that's all we'll steal from uh, Scott Wheeler today. Uh, check Scott out on Twitter at Scott C. Wheeler and be sure to catch up with his work on The Athletic. Always a favorite of ours. Scott, thanks so much for joining us. And until next time. Yep. Thanks, guys. And that was our interview with Scott Wheeler. Thank you, Scott, for uh, joining us. And I'm sure he's going to be back again soon. And like we said, this is going to kick off some more uh, focused coverage of prospects and draft prospects specifically. So uh, stay tuned for more of that, especially as we learn more about um, whatever the final rule changes are, or any final dates for the draft. Uh, I'm sure the NHL will be very timely and reasonable in deciding those. All right. Uh, let's jump into overtime. Overtime on this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, who we love and thank for contributing to this show and allowing us to do uh, whatever it is that we do. We're going to start with uh, Callan S., who says, I hope I'm not the only one who noticed that Brad said worst case Ontario at the 43-minute mark of last episode. Please don't ever change. There was a point (laughs) about last year or the year before where we were saying it so much, people actually had to ask us to stop. (laughs) 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 <laughs> Which is a lot more on brand. Uh, Michael Barry says, what would the dream scenario uh, be for the Red Wings to finish out the season? Um, and this is funny. He asked about checking episode on prospects. So uh, a little bit today. We'll be doing more soon, though. Yeah. Um, win as many games as they can to still be involved in the lottery and then win said lottery. <laughs> that's it's, it's an overly simplistic answer, but that. That's it. You still want them to win as much as possible, but the only reason to tank is for the draft positions. So, well, it looks like they've already won as many games as they can, judging by how bad Buffalo is. Oh my God. We've seen the max amount of wins the Red Wings can get this season. First line center, Riley Shahan. I'm not kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Ghost of Podcast Pass says So, does ESPN stream all games or only a few? I'm not sure. I think they're waiting for the second shoe to drop to the other shoe to drop before finalizing who's streaming what. But I imagine they're going to have most because NHL TV is going to be folded in there. Um, Hassam Hokasem says, drop the deep dish, drop Detroit deep dish, drop past shirts, you cowards. Yeah, you're right. We actually had a few different people submit designs to us. So um, we're just working on that. I'm sorry. It's tax season. That's my excuse. Uh, I love my co-host says I thought Evan was kidding when he said that he was sore from his fitting. So I laughed going into mine and well, a few hours of hitting balls. And the next day I was like, man, he was not kidding at all, but can't wait to get the clubs in. It's going to be great. Yes. Yeah. I was sore for like three days. It was disgusting. I'm so sad with myself. Uh, Cody Stark says, I've heard Eisenman and Jeff, uh, speak on the daily. I wonder how Eisenman feels about roster decisions, specifically Svetch. 
What if their relationship is more like Brad Pitt and Philip Seymour Hoffman in Moneyball? Eisman just wants Svetch to play, but Jeffrey won't do it. So Eisman sends him back to Grand Rapids so he can at least play. Meanwhile, Eisman Je- doesn't want to fire Jeffrey until the season is over. If it got that bad, there's no way he wouldn't have fired him already and just had Bilesma or whoever replace him. So, yeah, I could see them disagreeing on some things. Um, not shocking, but I can't imagine it's that level of a disconnect also i really miss philip seymour hoffman what a fantastic actor uh alan snyder says players if they mention one more time that lee westwood has his girl on the bag i'm gonna lose my shit i don't understand so lee westwood's fiance is his caddy and it's basically because he said he's like i'm 47 years old i played on tour long enough he's like for where my game's at, I don't need a caddy. Like, not saying, like, he's an all-star, like, just ripping it. But he's like, she can just be on the bag. I'll, I'll read the greens. I'll keep my yardage book. And I'll just do it all. And she just out there helps him out. And there's nobody having more fun than him. He looks, That's it. Yeah. Well, he came second today. You know, not a bad not a bad day, though. Not a bad day. Hey, she's a caddy of a, a second, uh, second overall at the players. Good for her. One. Uh, Justin Thomas did. He barely made the cut, and then he just went on an absolute tear. Um, and he was the only guy who wanted it today. Bryson actually topped one of his drives today. One of us. I thought I saw that, yeah. <laughs> it was the fourth hole. It was just a massacre. He topped one into the water, then shanked one way left into the woods, and then topped that one into the woods again, and then finally figured it out. Westwood shanked his drive so far right into the, into a hazard that I didn't even know was there. It was just a mess out there today, but it was good. It was really good. Um, okay. Mohit Sider says, Riley Shahan and number one center are two things I never would have thought I'd hear together. Also, I found a Metal Red Wings Kids Club lunchbox with a cartoon caricature of Cronwall on it. At Goodwill for a dollar, I'm going to put my weed stuff in it. <laughs> <laughs> um, AJ Voss says, I always laugh reading the replies on the Red Wings social media posts because they're always calling for decisions like trades or firings that would come from the top as if the social media people have any contact with ownership. When in reality, they probably met Illich once or twice when he called them or when he talked to them at the Christmas party. Uh, yeah, we got to people got to stop berating them. Like, I understand being angry with the team, but just like, please stop adding at the Red Wings and yelling at them. Those poor social people probably treat I, their phone like it's a hot potato. I We should find find the guy who or girl who runs Redding's Twitter account like just who it is and just send them like a get well soon card signed to everyone a bucket of alcohol like whatever their choice is yeah send them flowers you know what it should be me because I don't read replies and I'd be the (laughs) perfect person to run that account (laughs) it's funny though if you pay attention to their like all their socials Twitter Insta even TikTok they are like on it in the replies more so than most nhl teams so So it has to be to run a good socials account yeah no and it is and they're doing a fantastic job and you know we'll quote tweet our sarcastic garbage on their generic tweets but our sarcastic stuff i think they know is not we're being stupid but like there are legitimately angry human beings in some of those replies and it is concerning (laughs) yeah like why like they'll post an update on the game and someone's like we don't care anymore i'm like you really think they're just not gonna post it anyways it's literally Uh, their job (laughs) they have to 
Uh, Brad's anger manifested, says the trade deadline is less than a month away. When do we expect to see the Red Wings make moves? Ooh, it's, I think it's going to literally come down to the wire here. I don't know. I don't, I don't know is the answer because the two week quarantine throws everything in. So after the trade deadline, there's only what, like a month left in the season. So if you're a team that's looking to push into the playoffs, you can't wait till the trade deadline because you're getting what two weeks out of a player. Like apparently, here's a hypothetical: Montreal is apparently one of the teams that's all hot to trot on Luke Lindenning. Mm-hmm. That's a two week quarantine going cross border. If they trade him at the trade deadline, how many games are they actually gonna get of him to get into the playoffs? Obviously, if you're a team like Tampa, Toronto, Boston, where you're comfortably in there, yeah, you don't care. You're trading for this player for the playoff run, not to get into the playoffs. So I I don't know. If I was a team who was looking to add, I'd be all over it now. Um, but who knows? It's a uh, pandemic world. We don't know anything. <laughs> uh, breaking news. As you were talking, Brad, the Red Wings announced that they signed Donovan Sabrango to his three-year entry-level deal starting next season. Hell yeah, my boy! Um, North Moto says, uh, Brad made a comment that the team's mentality is broken or something to that effect uh, after they got a three out of four points from one of the league's best teams. I was hoping he could expand on that. I don't agree with sending Gino to the AHL, but it's a rebuild. Things don't always make sense. That was my point. Um you know, the Red Wings, here's the thing people misinterpret. We dump all over the Red Wings for being a terrible team because they are. They're still going to win one out of every three games they play, one out of every two and a half games they play. It We laugh at how big of a chasm there is between Tampa and Detroit, but it's really not as dramatic as fans make it out. These are still all quality NHL players and especially a team like Detroit with a goalie. When I say stuff like this, it's not on ice stuff I'm talking about, by and large. It's the whole thing that I explained about Svechnikov of what was the plan there, if there even was a plan. If there was a plan, it was bad and broken. And if there wasn't a plan, that's worse. So that's what I mean when I say like stuff like the mindset of this team is broken because I don't know what the end game is for a lot of decisions they make. And on a lot of other stuff, yeah, it's great. Like we can praise Eisenman for all his great UFA signings and yada, yada, yada. But what's going to make this team good is their draft picks and their prospects. They're not fixing this through UFA. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's confusing. Uh, English major says, uh, Anders Lee is out for the rest of the season, frees up 7 million for them. So Glennie to the Island, he screams to be a trots player, just a prediction. Um, also if he's available, I think the wings will take Beneers, Stevie's MO of hardest working player and a center. Thanks for coming to my Ted talk. I don't hate that option at all. I don't hate it. I don't think it would be my pick, but I certainly wouldn't be flipping any tables or upset about it if they did that you want to hear my hot take though i don't think luke lindenning is the best trade target for the islanders from the red wings the islanders are a team that by and large struggles to score more than they struggle to prevent goals they don't so they need luke lindenning back yeah they don't need luke lindenning they are very good at that part uh, of the game of hockey they need bobby ryan they need that extra uh. little offense 
little help on the power play, chip in a couple extra goals here and there. Barry Trotz can teach defense, so he can get Bobby Ryan integrated into that system seamlessly. They need Bobby Ryan more than they need Luke Lindenning. Uh, Sean Chavarello says, hey guys, the fan base has given Hronik a lot of shit this year. Is it deserved? Isn't the saying a defenseman needs 250 games to be an effective defender? Hronik's only had 140, so I think there's a lot of room for growth there still. Also, one in doubt, blame Blashill. Uh, does Hronik deserve a lot of shit for the way he's played last year? Yeah, he he uh, played this year, sorry. Yeah, he's he's had a lot of bad habits creep into his game this year. Um, do I think this is what Hironic is long-term? No, of course not. He's still got tons of room to grow. Do I wish Hironic would stop turning it over, uh, breaking out of the defensive zone? Yeah. Do I wish Hironic would just look for the pass or hold on to the second, uh, the puck a second longer rather than just firing horrible blind point shots into a thousand bodies? Also, yeah. But he still leads the team in points. He leads the team in assists. He's still, by and large, a positive impact on the team but yeah he's got a lot of stuff to clean up uh disco sludge says since you guys are doing previews soon uh draft previews soon i thought it'd be fun to look back at some nhl drafts and did everyone except like six teams forget to how how to scout in 2014 uh yeah bad one i uh, also think it's time where we can stop saying nice things about blash he's an extra special version of bad and we do not need to praise him for doing his job uh you're supposed to try to be good also uh he hates young guys and guys with skill if he didn't he wouldn't scratch rasmussen hurls he's fashion cop and mantha also his tips with athens were pretty public so fuck him pretty uh i don't think you're alone in that opinion i know a lot of people are still pretty and I, as much as you're going to hate it, I don't think that they're completely wrong in saying what can he do with a better team. But yeah, the, the roster decisions is what puts me in the camp of I don't agree with how he coaches. Uh, Stevie Langerman says, hey, gents. First, I don't think we'll turn into Buffalo solely because of Stevie. I think we're talking a totally different echelon of GM slash hockey minds between Botter- Adams or Botterill and Stevie Y. Secondly, I can't lie that I wish we keep Bobby Ryan. I know it's better for the team to get something for him, but I love watching him play as a Red Wing. Same goes for Stetch. Who out of our trade options do you want to keep the most and who makes most sense to keep on the team? If we're talking trade options, I, I think we'll limit this to UFA. Um, to me, Bobby Ryan or John Merrill. Those those are the two for me. But I think we'll actually get a pretty good return on Bobby Ryan. So that would be hard-pressed to pass on. Coupled with how high of praise Bobby Ryan had for Steve Eisenman when he signed here and continues to have, I think Bobby Ryan's a prime trade him and re-sign him candidate. Let him go have his playoff run and then re-sign him again in the offseason. Yeah, Bobby Ryan is is a good answer there. I also, I, it might be cheating because I know it's never likely that a goal is going to be dealt, but the longer Bernier on, is on this team, the happier I am. He makes yeah. a lot of really painful games viable for the Red Wings. Yes, but having Jonathan Bernier next year uh, hinders our chances at Shane Wright. So I don't know how I feel about that. That's fair. C Nods says, nice guy, Mantha. I think his gesture to have Vlad get the empty net goal speaks to the kind of player Vlad is and how he's viewed by the team. Still upset about this fetched emotion and just trying to direct my attention away from it. Uh, I think and it I th- speaks more to Mantha than it speaks to Nemesnikov. And I think that hockey juju paid off because he had a lucky goal bouncing at the end of the game uh, against Carolina today. Yeah, don't look now. Anthony Mantha leads the Red Wings in goals and is uh, second in points. So yeah. do with that information what you will. 
Arjun Shanker says, which player on another team who wears eight or 88 or 18 would be most likely to come to Detroit and wear eight now that it's free? Wow, that's a great question, Arjun. Before I respond, I have to say that I, Ryan, Hannah have cooties. It's very clever, Arjun. Thank you for that. Um, okay. Who wears Alex Ovechkin? <laughs> eight or 88 around the league. Okay, call this a hot take, but there's, I don't think it'll happen. But if we're talking about most likely 88s, when is William Nylander not in trade rumors? Nah, man. That team, that, that fan base is constantly trying to trade that guy. Yes, but understand. is he more likely than Patrick Kane or Alex Ovechkin? Yeah, absolutely. There you go. Then I'm right. Thank you. Uh, Once again. <laughs> hey. Giant freaking moron says, I literally forgot that Philpola and Nielsen are on the roster until today. Teams look better without them. I can't imagine why. They gave up a 2-on-1 shorty as I posted this. <laughs> uh zadina's world says hey boys do you think we see prospects getting ice time this season without a strong man or, or strong arm move by steve i don't really see blash giving the ice time willingly with how much he favors the old guard it depends who it is like i explained last episode i think blash hill isn't dumb in what he sees on the ice I think he just values the wrong things as to what makes a hockey player impactful. So I think we'll see prospects. I just don't think it's going to be the ones we think we're going to see is my honest answer. Um, Lars, the prophet of the towering behemoth says, so out of the players, the wings drafted that never got a real shot uh, with Detroit, who would you like to like to have had on the team for their entire careers out of the following Mike Foligno, Joe Murphy, Adam Graves, or Dallas Drake? Adam Graves, a thousand percent. Graves is the easy answer there. Yeah. Uh, also, what <clears throat> what in the world were the Red Wings thinking when they drafted Bob Probert, Joey Kocher, and uh, Sto- Stu Grimson in 83? Uh, different era of hockey. Body bags. They were yeah. thinking of body bags. <laughs> Look up what the, uh, the old Norris division was like in the 80s. Um, it'll make a lot more sense. <laughs> yeah, when people talk about... Uh, bodyguards on the ice there that that's not just a thing they made up that is very much a leftover of the previous era of hockey oh no no those guys were not bodyguards no no no, no, no. the other team needed bodyguards because of those guys oh yeah no they were the aggressors they were the yeah. assaulters they were the, the instigators yeah uh stay fresh cheese bags of fournier company says hey there fellows great effort against arguably the top team in the league right now good thing ernie was out there for most of the end of the third so that we could save the lone goal for when he came off the ice I'm admittedly unreasonably fixated on the expansion draft, so to distract myself, I've come up with a quick nickname generator. Just fire these off, and each of you give a quick yes or no. Michael Rasmussen, Moose. Yeah. It's a good um, I like sure. it. I like it. Philip Zadina, Z-Man. No, nah, I hate it. Not it no. for me, man. Dennis Chalowski, D-Sauce. <laughs> no, God, no. calling anyone <laughs> D-Sauce. No, we're not. That's, we're the next can, one. Can you even say that on TV? No. Did you hear what they name the nickname of Jack Hughes is? Oh my yeah. god. Yeah, yeah. We talked about the show. A little jizzy. <laughs> Did we? Yeah, yeah. I think that's where you heard it. Uh says Jeff Blashill. Nope, not saying that. Troy Stetcher, the pizza stretcher. That I like that. Hell yeah. That's too long. No. Yeah, no. Aussie for Hall of Fame, stay fresh cheese bags. Uh Kyle Hashman says ten minutes left in the game. No scoring yet. Uh, so many extra moves before the shots that lead to turnovers and power play looks, looks less than stellar puck luck. Exactly the opposite of the Carolina game or the lightning game. Who do you think comes out on top? Canes or lightning in a seven game series? Tampa. 
Oh yeah, now that Tampa's getting Kucherov back, we'll talk about Vasilevsky in a in a playoff series. I'll take that every day. I like Carolina a lot, but I am taking Tampa in every series they play until further notice. Uh, Walmart Wolverines says 24 shots with less than a minute left to go in the game. And I feel like the Ernie backhand that hit the ceiling was the closest thing to an actual scoring chance. <laughs> At some point, does Eisman say something to Blash about being a little bit more aggressive? No. They've Not had so. flashes. I don't get why they – like, I get why they yo-yo so much because – I mean, we are one game removed from a six-goal game. Uh, yeah. I don't know why there's not consistency to that, if that makes sense. Now, to be fair, Carolina, man, they do exactly what Detroit tries to do. If you want to look at a team, okay, this is what the Red Wings are angling to be. It's Carolina. They smother you, and then as soon as that you give them an inch, they're all over you. Yeah. So – um that did have a lot to do with it. This this game was uneventful because the Red Wings had an off game and the Hurricanes had a strong game. So, uh, yeah. Dennis K says, "Who's giving us a first for Bernie at the deadline? Toronto. They desperately need it. Colorado. Uh, and and I'm Devin. Says Detroit, Tampa Bay. Detroit plays loose and fun for a couple of periods. They just fly around having fun. Is it great? No. Is it fun? Yes. Did it work? Barely, but yes." Detroit, Carolina. Blash shoves a stick up everyone's asses so they play tighter defensively. Is it great? No. Is it fun? No. Did it work? No. Moral of the story, let the boys play. Uh, all right. Time for a few Reddit questions. Uh, Cortiva says, "What? wonder what your guys' thoughts are on the timeline of the current core of the team. Burt, Mantha, Larkin specifically. I think Bertuzzi and Larkin can very much fit into this rebuild uh with their age by no means are they aged out of it out of it or is it the rebuild so far away where they won't be productive players close or at their prime mantha i'm not saying mantha is not going to be good by the time the red wings are good again not at all i'm still of the admittedly somewhat controversial opinion that you'd get better value out of trading him if you got a decent enough offer while he's closer to 26 which he is right now rather than wait until he's 30 needs another contract and that's probably when the red wings are trying to compete for the playoffs again uh rational jester says sounds like the trade deadline is going to be lackluster this year what moves do you see eisenman making realistically all right one realistic trade from each of us that eisenman will make um i'd say glenn denning for a second and a no a third and a fifth um Best, like, if we're being optimistic, Bobby Ryan straight up for a second. Evan, one realistic trade from Steve Eisenman. Oh, I want to make a trade for Bernier, but I don't know what would be realistic. Um, Carolina takes Bernier for their first. Ooh. It's And it's not that out there. I don't they're, know if they're Ka- really good, and their goaltending is the only thing that g- gives me pause. Yeah, I, that's that's true of a couple teams. Toronto makes sense there. Colorado makes sense there. Um, any other good teams with goalie injuries right now? Minnesota makes sense there. Uh, Cam Talbot's just posted a couple of nice games, though. Yeah, and so has Nedeljkovic. So you never know. It's going to be how are these guys doing the two weeks leading into the deadline. Uh, all right, uh, Evan, pick a color, red, blue, or green? Red. 
All right. Last question here is from Matter Red 27 it says, Hey, winged wheel podcast with the mighty duck show just around the corner. I want to ask who your favorite mighty duck is and who you're hoping makes an appearance on this show. My favorite, favorite mighty duck is Dwayne and I'm hoping for the return of, uh, Wolf, the dentist Stanson always, as always go wings and retire 91. Dwayne is a great answer. Um, I like Fulton. Yeah, I like Fulton. Uh, he was shooting pucks into a suitcase when they found him. Couldn't skate. Turned into a productive player. All character. You gotta love it. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the old NHL though. I'm not sure those uh, John Scott types can make it anymore. Zidane Chara begs to differ. <laughs> Um, all right, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Wing Wheel Podcast. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Uh, patrons, check your messages for the, uh, if you're the, uh, right tier of patron, uh, check your messages for the, uh, March Madness bracket. And before I have to try and think of any more specific words, I'm going to thank all of our listeners. Uh, today's sponsor, which is the FanDuel Sportsbook. Download and use promo code WWP, as well as the heart and soul of the show. Our Patreon supporters are name level sponsors. Arjun Shanker, Eze Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Brett Bailey, Terry, driver of Evans Firk Wagon, Taylor Tagel, Arjun Shanker, Brandon M, Citizen High Five, Craig Gibble, Greech, Hana Lee, Hassam Al Qasem, Jacob Turner, Jake Kiefer, uh, Jeremiah Dobo. Um, Kaylin Wood, Cody Stark, Kyle Hashman, Luke Johnson, Matt McKay, Matthew M. Rice, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Tyrone Biggums, the whole name's not loading here, Zach Spring, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, another former junior goalie turned golfer, Antonio Gracias, Connor Layton, and Evans Bingo Card, Honky Town, Evan, Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, Joseph Minima, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Matt Keeler, Stan Olson, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags of Fournier Company, Trevor Pevivar. Thank you all so much. Take care. We'll talk to you Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.